are listening to On The Biz. Meet the Changemaker, powered by The Growth Company. And we are off. Good evening, folks. You're very welcome back to another episode of On The Biz, Meet the Changemaker. Uh, my name is Wayne Denner. I'm one of your hosts tonight. It should be Martin Murda doing the introduction, but he has disappeared off into the ether somewhere, uh, no doubt due to some technical difficulties. Uh, thank you so much for your patience tonight. We had a little bit of a late start, uh, but we're here, we're ready to go, and we're really excited uh, for another episode. A big shout out to everybody in the room tonight. Hello to Peter Doak from PDG Advertising. You're very welcome along tonight, Peter. Hello to Jules, uh, hello to Abby, and hello to Kieran. And don't forget, if you are listening to this episode of On The Biz, Meet The Changemaker on the replay over on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and all those good places online, a big hello to you. I'm not sure how many episodes of this show that we've done. We've been at it now for quite some time. Uh, we're here every Monday night for On The Biz, Meet The Changemaker. Uh, we're back over on LinkedIn on Thursday afternoon, 4 p.m. for the big interview series powered by The Growth Company. And most Saturdays, apart from last Saturday, because I was away at an under-13 championship football game, we do the uh, LinkedIn Entrepreneur on a Saturday afternoon. So you're very welcome to join us on any of those spots. Hopefully Martin Murda is going to join us very soon, but I'm delighted to introduce our guest tonight. I'm really excited about this episode because it's something that's really important in all our businesses. No matter what business we have, no matter how small our business is, no matter how large our business is, the bottom line is if it's not for sales, then we are not in business. So I'm always looking for new ways, new ideas, new strategies, new ways of thinking when it comes to generating more sales for my own business. And there's a lot of doom and gloom out there at the moment. There's talk about recessions. Oh, jeepers, you just have to switch on the news and you just get depressed. Um, and no doubt it's going to be challenging for small businesses. And that's something that, you know, we're all sort of really focused on our own businesses and how can we generate more sales. So I'm delighted to introduce tonight, uh, joining us on On The Biz, Meet The Ch Changemaker is Brendan Murphy. Uh, Brendan, good evening to you. Good evening, Wayne. How are you? I am fantastic. Look, Brendan, thank you. Thank you so much for taking time out tonight to join us on the episode. It's great to have you here. We'd like to kick off uh, if you can give our listeners um, live here tonight on Twitter spaces and also our listeners picking this up on the replay over on the Spotify and the iTunes. A little bit of an overview and your journey and your backstory to date and what it is you do and how you help businesses. Right. Well, I suppose uh, my backstory is I spent 10 years running bars and nightclubs and restaurants. Um, then after that, uh, I got out of it and got into sales and I worked for a Fortune 500 company. Uh, while I was in there, uh, I did pretty much every training course they could possibly throw at me, anything at all that would help me improve on what I was doing. So I moved into the corporate public sector in that company. And after 10 years, uh, sadly, redundancies came in. So that was about 12 years ago, 11 or 12 years ago now. Uh, so what happened to me was I was made redundant for the first time in my life. And I decided that uh, no one was ever going to do that to me again. And that I would take control of my own destiny. And I would be the, the master of who gets fired and, and who doesn't. So I started in recruitment 
I'm from Cork, but I was living, I'm still living in Lisburn uh, in Northern Ireland. So I started a recruiting company. I didn't have any clients, didn't have any candidates, never recruited before, but I was a sales trainer and I was beginning to sell. So I specialized in salespeople. Um, what had happened then out of there is while I was sitting down, I quickly saw that, you know, I might be recruiting a salesperson for an engineering company and the owner of the company is an engineer, but he's not a salesperson. And he was kind of saying, look, ah, the salespeople aren't really working out for me. And I'm like, who's training them? Who's managing them? Well, I am. Yeah, but you're an engineer. Have you ever managed a sales team before? And the answer was always no. So what I started doing is I started training the owners of the business to be sales managers while I was recruiting for them. And then I'd look at how they had structured their pay schedule for their salespeople and how they tried to motivate them and how they tried to grow the business. And it was very haphazard, like, and it was very kind of stuck together, like, you know, like bootstrap uh, a sales process for the guys. And then the owner was always getting very annoyed that the sales weren't closing. But I would be a firm believer in there's no such thing as a bad salesperson. There's just salespeople that are badly managed. Um, so more and more business owners asked me to come in and help them with the growth and change and stuff inside their business rather than recruiting for them. So uh, I stopped recruiting and I started ghost consultancy. The whole premise around ghost consultancy is I work in the background. Uh, I help you change your business. And, and I suppose the one thing all of my clients have in common is they just want to be better at what they do. They just want to improve their business. They want to improve how they do it. They want to improve their marketing. They want to improve their sales. They want to improve how they treat their staff. Um, they want to improve the culture inside it. So I would come in and I would work in all facets of the business, really, uh, except for finance, because I stay away from that. If I have to start worrying about budgets, I can't really execute what I want to execute inside the business. So for the last nearly five years now, um, I've been ghost and I work in the background of everything from uh, an architect, a race course, uh, a ballet school for a while, uh, engineering companies, but all different businesses. And that's what I like the most because it's always, every day is different. Um, so I'm going now as a growth strategist. I look at where they are, where they want to be, and what are the steps that we need to take to get them there. Fantastic. And, and, and sales are the lifeblood of all businesses. I sort of was alluding to that at the start of uh, the introduction, the importance of sales as well. And, and sales was something, even in my own business, that, that I wasn't typically, well, I felt that I wasn't typically good at it. And I don't know if this is something you've come across before, um, Brendan. Um, I always used to almost feel that I've got a little bit better at it, but not, not as good as I'd like to be, um, where I'm actually clunky if that makes sense to you when I'm selling things, I'm kind of, I'm kind of clunky. I almost feel like I feel embarrassed in some cases. I, I struggle to sell it. And it's, you know, and I'm talking about, you know, I've got a software product there and then I've got the, the other side of the business where I do a lot of education and training in schools. But I've often found that I'm probably not the best person to be selling what it is I do. Um, and have you found that, you know, that's a, a challenge for many small businesses? That's something that a lot of small businesses struggle with. They struggle with the, the sales component of making their business yeah. a success. Yeah, um, I, I see it a lot. You know, uh, people that are very, very good, like software engineers, IT companies. Like I, I worked with an IT company there recently. I did a case study on it and I increased his sales by 66% in five months. And he didn't take on a single new customer, 
new client. Uh, he just changed the way he spoke to his current clients. And I, I see it all the time with people. Uh, and I find a lot of it uh, when you're dealing with businesses and they're dealing with sales and they're uncomfortable around sales is really trying to define sales for them. And, and, and it's going like, when does a sale happen? So I would always ask this question, when is a sale a sale? When does it happen? And you'll get answers like, oh, when the money's in the till or oh, when the invoice is paid or when the order is done. But it, it, it doesn't, it happens way before that, right? So a, a sale actually happens when the value of the product or service exceeds the monetary value in the eyes of the customer. That's when a sale happens. So the analogy I always give for this uh, is if uh, I, I have a few criteria for a bottle of water, right? I'll make it really quick. Uh, it has to be 500 mils because any bigger goes warm before I get to the end of it. It has to be about a pound and it has to be cold. They're my rules. I don't care if it goes through volcanoes in South France. I don't care if it's from uh, spring in Mayo. Like, I just want it to be cold. I want it to be less than 500 mils and I want it to be about a pound, right? So that's value to me. So I walk into a shop, I buy a bottle of water and that's me done. But if I'm in Glastonbury, that same bottle of water is probably going to cost me four or five quid or if I'm at a gig or if I'm at an electric picnic or wherever I'm at. But I'm still paying that money, even though the product is the same, but the value has changed in my eyes, right? So if I'm away... Uh, in the Gobi Desert for flipping three days without water, I would probably give you my firstborn for that bottle of water. But the, the water hasn't changed, but the value in my eyes has changed. So when you're talking to your clients or your prospective clients about your product, it is really finding out where do they see the value in what you're offering. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. No, it does. And it is really all centered around the value. And that's something that I want to have a little bit of a, a deep dive on later on and explore that a little bit more because it's and tease it out a little bit more because I think it's such yeah. an important component. But before we move on, I noticed that Martin Murta is in the house. Before I introduce or get Martin to come on and, and, and say a few words, and I'm sure Martin's got some great questions coming up. I just want to say hello to everybody here tonight. Um, if you can do us a favor, if you can hit the share button and share this space uh, with your network tonight, we'd really, really appreciate that. It's good to get this information out to as many people as possible. And we're talking about something tonight that's so important to all businesses, generating sales. You know, it's it's a crucial component and our businesses wouldn't exist if we weren't hitting those sales targets and generating new business. But let's move over and say a huge hello to Martin. Martin, did you have some technical difficulties tonight? We're delighted to have you back. Yes, the gremlins, the gremlins are back. They're back again. So I had to uh, restart the internet and the Ford 4G for some reason wasn't happening either. But it's good to be back and uh, great to have Brenton on here, whom I know will deliver real value this evening. Yeah, absolutely, Martin. We just were talking about, you know, Brennan was doing his background and his introduction there to his business journey to date. Uh, and I was asking him a little bit about the whole sales process. And, you know, um, hopefully there's no rivalry between Cork and Mayo uh, here tonight um, because uh, we were chatting about, you know, the sales process in itself. But not just that, that how sometimes as business owners, small business owners, and I know a lot of small businesses in the room tonight, and I know some of the businesses personally, um, you know, I always often find whenever I'm selling my products or services that sometimes I'm clunky 
um, with that. And Brennan was just giving us an overview, um, you know, of, of, of some of the things to think about. And we're talking a little bit, or he touched on a little bit a couple of moments ago about the value add. And we're going to tease that out a little bit more. But um, question, have you got a question, Brendan, for Martin tonight? Um, I suppose, like, I know Martin for a while now. Um, and, you know, I suppose my main question to Martin is, what what do you find is the hardest part of your sales cycle? Is it is it getting in the room with um, a prospective client, or is it being able to accurately describe what you're offering? Yeah, I mean that's a great question. I mean sales not, is not particularly an issue that I uh, struggle with. Um, it's not not that I'm overly confident either. Sometimes it's it's the point of the deal's already been done. And I think I see a lot of businesses do this. The deal's already been done and they continue to talk. They continue to go on and they almost talk themselves out of the deal or after it's already been closed. If And it's, it's I suppose, sp- pardon, pardon the language, but sometimes when you know it's over the line, it's that, okay, now is the time to shut the F up and just let it, just let it run its course. Just let it um, send us your details and I'll pop you over an invoice, that kind of thing. If I, you know, continuing to talk, blah, 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 blah. Because sometimes I've been guilty. And Brenton, you you and I have talked about this before. And Wayne, we've talked about this before. Where I go wrong sometimes and is that I go into a room and I really want to show off my knowledge. I want to show off my expertise. I want to show off my skill set in order to land the business. And sometimes when you're talking to the wrong kind of people, they just take, take, take. And then, then when it comes to the actual comes to the actual sale, it's like they're almost thinking, well, she just told me all how to do it anyway. What do I need you for? You know, that sort of way. So it's uh, it's it's known. It's kind of it's known that moment. OK, less is more, if that makes sense. Yeah, uh, Martin, uh, that, that thing about shutting up, right, that's actually it's called the pregnant pause. Right. And that's a skill. That's a skill that you need to learn. And, and once you're aware that it exists, it's uh, it's quite hard to do. It's not what a lot of people get. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I know when I was in recruitment, uh, I used to tell my candidates that, you know, when it came to the end of an interview and they were asked, you know, do you have any questions? I said, look, this is the only question that you ask at the end of an interview. And this was my advice. I was Based on the conversation that we've just had, how happy are you with hiring me for this position? Because I want the job. And I said, and then just shut up. Then just stop talking. And they do, and they stop talking. And, you know, once you do that, once you use, like, an open question, like, who, what, where, when, how, and once you put in an emotive, like, how happy are you? How disappointed are you in your sales performance last year? You know, you're forcing people in to answering your question. But by shutting up, you actually cut yourself out of it and go, like, I've given you everything. Uh, I, I totally understand what you mean about going into a room and, and you want to show off, you know, your prowess and how good you are. And I know how good you are with the LinkedIn training and the LinkedIn stuff that you did. And I, I'd like to think I've been a real champion of yours. Like. But I would be of the of the opinion, just give it, give it away. Like, get, tell them everything because they're not going to do it. But they're going to know that you know and that should be enough. You know what I mean? 
Um, a lot of people will go, oh, I, I, I do my own social media, but I don't get anywhere. Well, maybe you're not great at it. Like, maybe you should hire somebody. You know, I'm a big fan of a priest says mass. If you want a mass said, get a priest. They're brilliant at it. Don't ask them to do your electrical work, though. Get an electrician for that. You know, and if you want to and if you want to sell and if you're not good at it and you're aware you're not good at it, invest in a salesperson. When I was in recruitment, they would say like, oh, how much will a good salesperson cost me? Nothing. A good salesperson is free. They'll make you money, but you have to invest in them. You don't plant a seed for a plant in your back garden and go and dig it up every two days to make sure that it's growing. You know what I mean? You have to leave it and you have to invest in it. You know I, I know we're talking about uh, this recession that's supposed to be hitting us again, but I, as far as I was aware, we were still in the middle of a recession. So it's just another recession on top of a recession. And you hear it all the time. You hear like you should market your way out of a recession. Like if I was, if I had a business and I had a sales team and I knew there was a recession coming, like as Lincoln said, if I had 24 hours to chop down a tree, I'd spend the first 20 sharpening the axe. I would be training my sales team now. You know, I would be putting, investing into them and training them and getting anybody I could, get them into neuro-linguistic programming, get them into opening sales, closing sales, get get really good people in to work with your salespeople because it will pay dividends. If you don't invest in your sales team and you don't train them, like, you know, I suppose mistakes that we make, like we go away and we take our best salesperson and we make them the manager. Sure, that never works like because the best salesperson is a salesperson, they're not a manager. Like, so you're nearly better off investing in a proper manager to come in and manage your team, you know. Um, but yeah, just to get back to where you were, um, a lot of people would talk themselves out of a sale, but as I say, that pregnant pause is a skill to be learned, and, and you have to work on that skill like anything else and be able to shut up when you need to shut up. Yeah, and it's something that I also see online as well. And and we work with a lot of companies showing them how to leverage LinkedIn, really have those conversations as well. And that's a big, we call it, it's more sales enablement rather than the actual sale. And some of the people that we're working with, where they go wrong is they'll, it's already been done. You've already got the meeting set up and the meeting's there. And they're going to have the meeting with a person. And before the meeting, they go and they send them this whole brochure of additional services, additional information, additional. And I just look at it and go, you already had them for a meeting. And now you've sent them all this here. And what happens then is that the person goes back and goes, oh, actually, I'm not the person you need to speak to. No, you need to speak to somebody else in our team. Or I can't meet you. To I can't meet you. Something's come up. Look, let's reschedule. And then the client comes back to me and I, and says, Do you know what? They haven't got back to me at all. Or that other person hasn't got back to me. They told me to get in touch with. And I'll say to them, You had them. You had them at that meeting. You did not need to follow up with the brochure of the ins and outs and all the things you can do. That's something that you could have had while you had a conversation with them and it and you were able to um how could you say it? You were able to uh gauge out gauge their needs and then you could talk about the solutions that you offer people by people, but instead you wanted that last word. You sent over the 
the the brochure after you had agreed the meeting and then they just read it and then they just thought, oh, this is not exactly something that I want to be talking about in a conversation with somebody, if that makes sense. And it's that and it's that thing. And another thing for me personally, and I and I say to you, like I don't struggle to see it. I've always had a gift of the gab. But what I what I learned with the, the pandemic, Brenton, and and this is something that I have been meaning to talk to you about, that with the I find it very easy to close business online. In fact, from a from a profit sort of from a balance sheet perspective, I can but closing business online comes very natural to me. What I've discovered is that I can equally close business in person as well. But the point is that not all clients are created equal. Now, it's like, and what I mean by that is, and I've tried to talk up to before online about this here in one of these chats, is that I could be bringing somebody, but if I go and I meet you for a cup of coffee, I can tell the relationship it needs to be two-way. I can tell that you're interested. You're going to be invested in it. You're going to be engaging. You're going to be nice to work with. It's going to be a, a real good relationship. When you do that online, it's not easy to pick up that. It's not easy to sense all that sort of stuff. Whereas what I was finding was, yes, it was easier to onboard online but you didn't have the luxury. It's only when you're sitting face to face with somebody across the table where you can actually go, actually, you know what? I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave it because I don't think you're there yet or I don't think we can help one another. Online, you, you can't always gauge that. Is that something that you found in your own experience with with closing online compared to offline? <laughs> Um, I think what I do, Martin, uh, I know during the lockdown, I, I, I had to do a lot of meetings uh, over Zoom or over Google Meets or any of the other software teams and all that. I didn't like it. I, I don't enjoy it because you can't see the whites of somebody's eyes, you know. Uh, I, I don't like, you know, I suppose this naturally moves on to uh, the sales metrics, right? And um, if you're in sales and you don't know what your metrics are, then I I would dispute that you're not really in sales at all. Like you should know at any given time what your metrics are, right? So your sales metrics is number one, what is your target? What's, what is your actual sales target that you want to hit for your business this year? Number two is what are you right now on your percentage of target? How hard do you have to work or how much can you slow down to be able to achieve your target? And what's your average order value is number three. Number four is, is calls to meetings for, for when you get a, a suspect to turn them into a prospect. What is your ratio on how many calls you have to make to make a meeting out of it? And number five is how many meetings do you have to do to, to close? Now, I know my numbers and I know that if I meet five business owners tomorrow, I will have four clients. There will always be one. And sometimes it's the client's decision and sometimes it's my decision. Right. But I think it's always important that you go and you meet with these people, because like, as you said, people buy from people. Right. Another thing that just to get back to what you were saying, and it was a, I think it was a very important point, And I see it a lot when I'm training salespeople or I'm dealing with business owners is they don't listen to their clients when their clients tell them what they want. And I was very guilty of this when I was in recruitment. So a client would come to me and say, look, we need a salesperson. And I break me back finding the very best salesperson that is available for the budget that they have. 
And it would take me a while and I'd meet every client and I'd make sure they were the right people to, to pass on as candidates. But my problem was, is I wasn't listening because they weren't asking me for the very, very best salesperson. They were just asking me for a salesperson. And I was over-delivering on what they wanted. And that would get very frustrating because I was trying to, you know, be the superstar when, in fact, they were saying it's more important that I've got a good salesperson that's working now Brendan than having, you know, the God of all salespeople working for me. And, and, and I think we're all a bit guilty of that because we want to, when we're talking about our own business and our own services, we want to peacock a little bit like and, and show off what we can do. But you can't fall into that trap. You need to listen to the client and find out exactly what they want. You know, and, you know, it's when I talk about growing your business and business growth with my clients and I say, look, you're looking to grow your business, but you could work on price and you will grow your business by three or four percent year on year. But to grow your business exponentially, you do two things. Number one is you get to disrupt your market, absolutely change your offer in whatever way you're doing business. Find out what your your. Um, competition is doing and do something that they can't do offer something that they can't offer or are unwilling to offer or aren't allowed to offer right and number two is add value every single step of the way every single step of the way make yourself sticky to that client that they're in some ways reliant on you to help you grow their business and once you know your your metrics and once you like disrupt your own market i I was given a talk for a a council one day, I think it was for Sido there out in um, Craig Avon. And I said, just disrupt your market. And there was a fella, and I remember he turned around to me and he goes, I have a, I have a kennels. And I went, right. And he goes, how do I disrupt my market with a kennels? And I said, I will, if I'm on holidays in Spain, I'm coming back at six o'clock in the morning or five o'clock in the morning or whatever time I'm coming back. And he was, yeah. And I said, how much would I be grateful to you if my dog was in my back garden by the time I got home? That I didn't come home, unpack the whole thing and then have to drive 40 minutes to where you are. I said, it would cost you six or seven quid in fuel. Not these days, I suppose. But I said, i pay for that. Like. So it's understanding what they see as value. Yeah, absolutely, Brandon. You said some a couple of really interesting things and things that sort of sparked some thoughts in my mind tonight. You were talking about, you know, the over-delivering aspect, adding value, and those are things that are super, super important in, in, in my business. Um, those are two of the things that I always try to do. Um, I try to add as much value as possible, and I try to over-deliver. But sometimes, you know, throughout the process, and, you know, this was more of an issue whenever I was in the digital marketing space uh, many, many years ago and, and I ran my own sort of thing, my own operation. And I had a tendency from time to time to pick up what, what, what we call toxic clients um, and clients that were bad for business. Um, and you were in a state of, you know, you, you were over delivering, you were adding huge amount of value and it didn't matter what you did you could never keep some of these people happy. Um, they were always looking for more. They were always trying to screw you on the price or trying to get you down on the price or try to get you to work for nothing or, or whatever it was. And it just was really stressful and really hard work. And what I found was when I binned those toxic clients, things started to 
uh, to work better for me. Um, yes, it took me a little bit longer to find better clients and clients that understood what I could do for them. Uh, they understood the value that I could add. And it was almost for me like a light bulb moment around that I had to educate the potential client in the very early part of the sales process about what I was going to do. Equally, I found that I had to manage expectations because the reality of it is, as you know, Brendan and, and Martin knows and everybody in the room here knows tonight, there's always somebody that can do it cheaper. Um, and some of our industries really experience that quite a lot where it's almost commodity driven where, you know, if they, you know, and they don't want to give it a, you know, typically, you know, when you bring on a new client, it, it's about educating them. But look, this is going to take a period of time. Like you're not just going to see results overnight. It might take a period of time in order for things to bed in and get the strategy set up. And, and then then we'll start to see results as well. But the question I wanted to ask you tonight was, you know, how do you determine um, and before you answer this for me, um, I'm just going to um, get you to think about it because I'm sure you're going to have some really, really good stuff. And while you're thinking about it, I'm going to say hello to a few people and give you time to come back with the response. But I think this is a crucial, crucial question um, in, in, in business. But how do you determine if a prospect is a good fit for my company or for for a company or an organization. And while Brendan's thinking over that tonight, I just want to say hello to everybody tonight. Hello to Kate. Uh, thanks to Kate for joining us tonight. It's great to see you here. Hello to Jules. Uh, hello to Adam. Hello to Abby. Uh, hello to Kieran. Peter Dokes in the house. Um, if you have any questions tonight, guys, that you would like to ask, don't forget, this is an inclusive space for people to ask questions. Um, we'd be delighted to invite you up to ask a question. You just got to raise your hand. Brendan's going to be here for the next half hour. We're a wee bit late kicking off tonight. But if you do have a question relating to sales that you would like to ask Brendan tonight, please use this opportunity to ask this guy the questions because I'm writing down so much here tonight. I'm learning so much. And this is something that can really, really help my business. But back to that question, Brendan, how do I determine, how, do, how does a business determine if a prospect is a good fit? Enjoying today's live social audio event? Are you looking to connect and drive new business development opportunities? Would you like to get your business or brand front and center with decision makers? If the answer is yes, why not avail of one of our exciting advertising opportunities via a social audio event? We're delighted to be offering advertising opportunities via our weekly shows on the biz, meet the change maker, the big interview series, or the Saturday entrepreneur. From a show sponsor to an advert during the show, we help you build a genuine and more personal connection with your audience through social audio. To find out more, get in touch by emailing hello at thegrowthcompany.ie. One of the things that I developed when I was doing uh, my, the sales training part of what I do, right, is uh, I came up with this acronym, and the acronym is ACTION, right? A-C-T-I-O-N. And I use it when I'm training salespeople to go out, and these are the questions you need to ask when you're in a sales call, right? If you don't have the answer to these six questions, then you don't have anything to go into your pipeline. It's not really a deal, okay? So A is for authority. Has the person that you're going to talk to, have they got the authority to make a decision? Because if they don't, I'm not going, 
right? Now, the best answer that, or the best question that I've come up with so as not to offend somebody is, right, Wayne, who besides you makes the decision on this? I assume you have the decision, but who besides you? And you might say, oh, me and uh, Martin Murtaugh. Both of us make the decision on what we're going to do going forward. Then I'll say, look, can you make sure that Martin is in the room? Because um, Martin's going to have questions that you're not going to know the answer to. And then he'll ask you afterwards and then you'll ring me and I'll tell you and you'll tell him. And it's Chinese whispers then and a message will get lost, right? Now, this this action will get to, to, to answer your question, right? C is criteria. They're buying criteria. What is it? What makes you buy? Do you want the most expensive? Look, I can get you a Jag or I can get you a Mondeo. They have the same engine under the boot or under the bonnet. They have the same engine, but a Jag and a Mondeo are two completely different cars. So, oh, I want a Jag because I want the... You know, I'm a bit flashy and I like to drive a Jaguar or I'm playing, just give me a Mondeo. I'm happy. It does what it does on the team. So you understand what their buying criteria is. So you can get that out of the way really early and say, are you going to pay for this product? Am I going to have problems with you? Like, Oh, I want a cheap and cheerful stack at high. I don't get involved in those conversations because I know what I'm worth, right? T is timeline. When do you want to start? When are you thinking of doing this? And if they're not thinking of their timeline in the meeting, then, you know, you may have to change tack when you're inside there and kind of go, have you thought about when you want to start? Like, you told me you want to start tomorrow, but, like, I'm not free tomorrow. I can't do this for you tomorrow, right? I is very important. I is their intent. So if you're in a meeting and you go, right, how many other uh, business coaches are you talking to right now about this? And if they go, uh, well, well we're ta- we found you on Google. All right, well, I know you're talking to three, at least three business coaches. If I hear that the number is more than four or five, I bow out straight away because I know that he's just going to make a decision based on price at that stage or she's going to make a decision based on what's the cheapest. And when you're buying advice, going the cheapest probably isn't the best way to go because you're only going to get the cheapest advice, right? O is what are their objections? Find out what they are. Like, what, what is it? What's, what's stopping you from making this decision? Like, why, you know, and they'll tell you if you ask them. Do you have any objections to me starting work for you tomorrow or will I come in and meet your team or whatever it is? And then N is the agreed next step, right? So if you go into um, a sales call and you get action, the authority, the criteria, the timeline, what their intent is, what their objections are and what the agreed next step is, you're pretty, you know what they're going to be like, you know what their business is going to be like, you know if they're talking to you seriously or not. And you know, if you don't like some of those answers, then at that stage, you can take yourself out of the picture where you go, look, I don't know if we're going to be a, a good match. I'd like, I always tell uh, new clients when I start working with them, I go, look, the chances are is you and me are going to have a shout match in your office at some point. And I remember I was working with one client. I was working for over two years. And this particular gentleman is six foot seven, about the same height as you, Marty. And uh, I was talking to him and uh I was shouting at him inside his office and I was like, why do I care more about your business than you do? So, you know, when you're when you're dealing with that and you use these questions and, and they're kind of searching questions like, when are you thinking of starting? What's your what's your intent? Then you'll find out when I hope this helps, like, but then it will really clarify what this meeting is all about and what type of people they are. Does that make sense? 
It does. It does. That's super helpful, Brendan, actually, because, you know, that acronym helps break the process down. And I think that's going to be super beneficial for, for everyone in the room tonight to, to sit down and, and go through that. And it almost really, really helps get a little bit of clarity in your mind um, before moving forward, because I suppose that was the sort of thing in the early days, at least in business, that I was most guilty as charged with just sort of taking on any client just for the sake of it and actually not going through that process, not having those steps in place. Uh, to really help. And that's something actually that I, I might actually circle back around to you and make available for people on the show notes uh, so they can revisit that because I think it's super, super useful. Well, look, the way I did it, I, I have worked uh, for a few different businesses as an interim sales manager, right? Where they would say, look, we need you to come in. We're hiring our own sales manager. Uh, but can you kind of look after the team while the hiring process is happening now, and like a sales manager is a, is a big investment for your business you know you need to make sure it's the right person right and i would make sure that all of the sales people were trained on action right and what i used to do is when we'd sit down at the sales meeting i would have a spreadsheet and on the spreadsheet would be all the business that's in all the sales team's pipelines and i could look and i could go right kate because i can see kate rooney's here and i'd say right kate action number four for me and if Kate was could turn around and go, well, it's the business owner, it's Brendan Murphy. Um, he likes quality. He doesn't want to buy stuff that are substandard. He doesn't mind paying extra if it's good value for money. He wants to start working with us uh, in June next year. Um, he's talked to two other sales coaches or business coaches, but decided that they didn't really fit his niche. Um, he's not hugely happy about the price. That's kind of his only objection, but he can see the value in it. And the agreed next step is I'm to call him in April just to make sure that we have our dates right. And if I got Kate to do that with number three, number six, and number 11, then I don't have to ask Kate about the other 22 in, in our pipeline because I know she knows it inside out. So when you, and, and, and what I say to people is when you start doing this, because I would sit with salespeople for years and I'd go, what's in your pipeline? And they'd go, oh, 380 grand. And I'd say, right, on Sunday night, you're lying in bed and you're staring at the ceiling. What's in your pipeline now? And they go, about 110. And I'm like, why are you lying? And nine times out of 10, they'd bring up their sales manager or the business owner. And they'd go, because they'll kill me if it's only 110. At which point I would turn to the business owner and i go, would you prefer a solid... 110 or a bull 380 and the owner will go I am buying raw materials and I'm investing in your 380 and it's it's only 110 but 110 solid will suit me I know what's happening with that I could use the rest of that money that I was buying raw materials for marketing and that's when the lies go out the window and that's when people really start to tell the truth about what that what, what's happening and and, and like this could not be more important right now if businesses are going into a recession and they're looking at the raw materials that they're buying and they're looking at their sales pipelines and how are we going to keep the doors open? I'm telling you something. I'm a business owner. I don't have any staff working for me, but I've often thought like I would rather my salesperson tell me I'm going to make 40 grand next month than trying to lie to me because they feel threatened for their job and they're telling me I'm making 280 and it still turns out as 40. I'd rather know what I'm looking at than than not, if that makes sense, Wayne. Um, so right now, I think the biggest things that, bus that business should be doing, and, and of course I'd say it, I'm a sales trainer, of course I'd say train them, but I would be training the life out of sales staff now. 
giving them everything that they need, giving them the right tools to be the best versions of themselves and keep them happy. Yeah, it's so interesting as well. And myself and Wayne had this conversation yesterday that there's so many companies as we head into this recession, the first thing at the cut is the sales. The first thing at the cut is the marketing department. It's like, oh, we don't have the money to invest in marketing. And I said to them, you need to, if anything, you need to be investing in your marketing because if you cut that there, you won't have a business. And it's time and time again, we haven't learned from the past that companies cut the marketing budget in times of recession. And then I look, and then that approach is just, it boggles the mind. And I said to them, guys, I'm going to be honest with you, you won't be in business in six months. And the amount of times that, I, that I've spoke to, either they cut the marketing or they don't want to make the investment. They don't want to make the investment. They're trying to bootstrap it. They're trying to, um, how could you put it, this growth hack sort of mentality. I'm not saying growth hacking doesn't work. Of course it does, but it needs to be part of a, a wider strategy. It can't simply be, um, it can't simply be trying to do it alone. And there's so many small businesses right now that really are struggling and they're struggling to have that expertise around them. And I think, Brendan, that is where you come in, having that expertise. But that expertise will come at a price and rightfully so because you have spent your time acquiring the knowledge, acquiring the experience, acquiring the skill set. Isn't that right? Well, Martin... Like, there's no app for success, like. Do you know what I mean? There's nothing that you can download, <coughs> excuse me, to be successful. And businesses that, you're right, they do, they go, oh, we're not going to spend the marketing. But here's the thing that these businesses don't realise, right? We're all on social media now. We're on our LinkedIn's and we're on our Facebook's and we're on our Instagram's. And we see companies that are posting regularly content, right? I had a conversation with a guy on Friday morning. We were outside a, a networking breakfast. Like, what time is it? From 10 to 7 in the morning, we were having a conversation about content in posts. And I was saying, you don't understand, and I don't think businesses understand about content, right? If you're doing a lot of content and then you stop doing content because you're after cutting your marketing budget, the feeling that's out there of the people that are looking at your content is that you're closed, is that you've failed, that you've stopped working, you've stopped trading. You need to be constantly, I, I keep talking to people, it's about consistency in what you're doing in your marketing. And if you decide that you're going to stop marketing, that is the probably the single biggest mistake that you can make in this day and age when you have, when you have all the social media at your fingertips. And, it, you know, you see people there on, on LinkedIn and, and, you know, I follow a lot of people, I look at their content and I look at their reasoning behind it. And sometimes you're looking at them and they start off with, fantastic and you can tell martin you can tell when they they lose the professional right because they start off and their content is fantastic and it's giving value and it's telling you something you didn't know and it, and it's really engaging and next thing suddenly they're starting to put up photographs of them on holidays and they're putting up pictures of them walking through a woodland glade but the content around it is nothing about how you're going to make my business better, how you're going to improve it. That's what I know. Whoever you were paying to help you with your marketing, you stop paying them. 
yeah. because your content has suffered. And then I'm looking at you going, why? Like, you know, when you're doing content marketing, you always have to think who, why, what, what? Who is it for? Why are they going to be bothered to read what you've done or watch what you've done? What are they going to want to do after you've done this post? And what do you want to do? What do you want them to do? And you reverse engineer it. And that should push your content. You know? Yeah, I think it's the five, we call it the five C's. And it's often the kind of, it's the content, so important. It's the consistency, absolutely. It's the connection. And it's the conversation. It's mm-hmm. the four seats. It's so important that, but content alone nowadays is just not enough. You need to be constantly engaging. You need to be constantly interacting. And I think the more, sorry, go ahead. No, but with value, Martin, like I, I, I had a, there was a managing director of a company that I knew, right? And she put up a post about she had recently uh, acquired like maybe a, a master's in business or whatever it was, right? And the post was a picture of the frame and the, the, the content was delighted to have finally received my certificate as a master's in business or whatever it was, right? And I rang her and I said, you're after missing a trick there. And she goes, what do you mean? And I said, you should have put, because I now have a master's in business, this is how it's going to affect my clients. We will have a greater knowledge about how your business works. Uh, our, uh, our products will enhance your business and make it better. And that's a post. Not just telling me, you, you know, you know you've, you've got a master's in business. Brilliant. How is that going to affect me as a consumer? Yes, Wayne. Yeah, absolutely. And that leads really nicely on to a question that I had for you uh, tonight, Brendan. I was wondering, you know, when, when we think about potential customers that we might be prospecting, that we might be looking to bring online, that we might be looking to, to work with, what what's the process in your experience that if a potential customer is confused, let's say about one of my products or services with a competitor's, how would I move forward with the sale, even though they kind of believe they're getting something else? How would I, what's the sort of best way or what sort of tips would you have around handling those sorts of things if a potential customer is confused with, like, let's say, one of my products or services? Right. One of the ways that I tackle that way, and that's a great question, right? One of the ways that I tackle that that I found most effective is I make a list in front of the customer. Right. And in front of the customer, I make a list of must haves and should haves. Right. And if you're thinking about a software package and I say, look, you, you want to get this software package, what should it do? Should it do this? Should it do ABC? Yes, it should do that. Should it do it or must it do it? Well, it must do that. All right. OK. And what about you know XYZ and ABC? Oh, yeah, yeah. It must do that. But it should do ABC. But it's not a you know, it's not a game changer. We all know like, you know, people buy CRMs. They only use five percent of what the CRM was built for anyway, you know, which is which is a huge problem for businesses because they make a massive investment into Salesforce and don't use any of the features that it, that it was built to do. Right now. When I have that list and I say, well, you said it must do this and 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 it must do this. Yeah. And it should do that, which is an add on it, which is added value. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Right. That's that's a million billion for that product. Right. And I use it as a negotiation tool because then when they turn around and go, well, that's too expensive. I look at the must have list and I say, right, what would you like to take off? And there's silence. 
And they go, well, I don't want to take any of it off. And I said, well, if it's too expensive with all of these add-ons, how many of these must-haves do you want to turn into should-haves? Because you, you, if you want all of it, that's how much it is. But if, you, if it's too expensive, let's take this off. And then they get a greater understanding. Like when you're talking about a product and they're comparing it with your competitors, you go, well, what are you going to use the product for? Get, get up to your upsters in your client. Like find out how their business runs, how it ticks. Because if you sit down and talk to any business owner, they love talking about their business. And it'll give you a massive insight as to how they're working. And then you can advise them uh, as best you possibly can, as opposed to just trying to sell them a product that maybe they don't need. And don't be afraid of turning around and going, look, you've told me what your needs are. Look, it's not my product, mate. What you want is zero accounting. You know, you you don't want what I have. You you, you know, it's just it's not going to suit you you would probably get more recommendations from that client about being an honest broker than you ever would have by selling them a product that they didn't need, couldn't afford, and wasn't going to do the job for them. Yeah, yeah. I think when it comes to pricing, though, most consultants have a cross between voodoo and bingo. When (laughs) When it comes to pricing their services, how do you yourself price? Do you have different... Would you have a different price for, say, an SME compared to, say, an entrepreneur or a freelancer? What? No, no. I I remember, I remember uh, hearing uh, some guy. He was like he went to massive Fortune 500 companies and turned them around. And uh, he was asked on a podcast, like, how do you work out your pricing? And he said, I, I think of the biggest number that I can say without laughing, and that's my price. And, and he said, did they pay? And he goes, yeah, of course they pay. But like when you're in that position, when you're a global, you know, if you're working globally, that's fine. Um, Martin, I charge uh, the Bank of Ireland and Dave's Fancy Tires exactly the same price because I can't turn around and go, well, I'm going to put more effort into customer A than I'm going to put into customer B. You're, you're going to get the same effort. You're going to pay exactly the same for it. Um, and that's how I do my pricing. I know what I'm worth because I can turn around. I've worked with an architect for the last two years. He reminded me of the other day. Before I started working with him, he was closing maybe one in 20 inquiries, and now he's closing one in eight. So it's value to him. Like, And every so often, he'd throw the head up, like, and I'd say, look, will I come back on Wednesday, and we'll talk on Wednesday? And he's like, yeah, I'm just having bad form today. Like, And I said, look, do you want to stop this? And he's like, no, I don't. You know, I have case studies, again, like the IT company increases sales by 66% in five months. And then he turned around to me and goes, my company has exploded. I've just had to hire more people. Can you go away until October and come back in October and we'll start on the marketing? Because I can't grow anymore now. I've got, I've got too many people, right? So once you know your value, it's all about being... Fair, isn't it? Like, I know there's a, one of the best stories about pricing that, that I can tell you is, is my accountant, right? Um, he sits down and he did it online, right? And he put up all the services that he offers. And he goes, do you need this? Yes. Do you need that? No. Do you need salaries? No, I don't need that. Do you need this? Yeah, I need that. Do you need this? No. And then he had a button at the end of the screen and he said, now I'm going to press this button. And he says, I will tell you in advance, there's no mates rates here. 
I don't, I don't pay mates rates and I don't ask for mates rates. So I went, all right, fair enough. And he goes, I'm going to press this button and this is going to tell us how much this service is going to cost you a month. And I can tell you, one of us is going to be annoyed. Either you're going to be annoyed because you think it's too high or I'm going to be annoyed because I think it's too low. And he pressed the button and the figure that came up on the screen, I went, yeah, I'm happy to pay that. And I said, does that mean you're annoyed? And he went, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. But it was it was just a way of negotiating and it really worked like, you know, when. Yeah, fantastic. This is probably one of the episodes of the podcast that's been my most favorite so far because... Yes, when did you want to ask me something? Yeah, I did. Um, this has probably been one of the, 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 the my most favorite episodes of the podcast um, so far because there's so many questions that I have, Brendan, because it's so central to not just my business, but everyone's business here tonight that if we're not generating sales, we're not going to be in business. And it's probably getting more difficult in some cases to generate sales. You know, budgets are tight. Um, as Martin said a couple of moments ago, things are being cut all over the place. Um, marketing spend is being reduced. I spoke to somebody just a week, a week or so ago, and one of the things that came up in the meeting was the fact that they were you know restricting or reducing their marketing budget and then i was in there to try and sell them something you know when it was kind of relatable to marketing um and there was elements of that involved in what i was trying to pitch but what i wanted to ask you and this is probably going to be relevant for some people um in the room um tonight and we do we do have a couple of minutes left tonight guys so if you do have a question i think brendan's adding an incredible amount of value here tonight and if you think that brendan is adding value give us a huge uh clap or thumbs up on screen because he's dropping so much real useful information tonight that's helpful uh, towards our businesses, no matter what size um, our business is. But what I wanted to ask you, Brendan, um, is let's say, you know, the product or service that you sell, if you're getting negative feedback potentially relating to that product or service or even that industry, and that can be something that's industry specific where certain industries, uh, certain products or services that are sold in those industries maybe let's say have a little bit of a bad reputation or maybe somebody has been sold something before and they haven't had a good experience. Um, how do you deal with that sort of negative feedback? What would be your thoughts on that? I'm glad you brought that up, right? Because I, I wrote down a couple of notes before I came on tonight about stuff that, that I, I thought would be helpful, right? One of the things that I wrote down, and I think it's the last point that I said, I definitely want to bring this up, and it's after sales, right? I was given a talk to uh, one of the councils and they asked me, you know, pick any subject you want to talk about. And I wanted to talk about after sales because I went to um, online, to online dictionaries, and I checked out uh, the phrase after sales. And there wasn't a single instance when they were discussing after sales where it was a good thing. So they said after sales, what happens after the sale? And it's like uh, it, it, adjective or whatever it was. And it says the company really needs to work on its after sales or, you know, the salesperson's after sales was terrible. And it's something that business owners and salespeople, we completely forget about. We completely forget about it. We never go back. Like, I, geez, I worked with a, a web developer and, uh, you know, I turned around to him and I said, how often do you ring your clients? And he goes, what do you mean? I said, after you've done the website, like, how often do you ring them back to see if they're happy with it? And he goes, you know, Brendan, he said, I promised myself I would never be that guy. And he said, I've not rang him. I've never rang him. And I said, all right, take 20 minutes out every Monday for as long as we're working and 
take out your list of your clients and ring every one of them and just ask them how they're getting on. How are you? I'm not to sell. I'm not here to sell to you. Just how are you? How's the website going? Are you happy with it? That guy did it 20 minutes for three Mondays and he earned £45,000 of business for doing it. Oh, thanks for ringing. We meant to call you. Um, we want something else done with the website, but I kept putting it on the long finger. I still call clients from years ago where I just ring and say, oh, I was driving along there and I just, you, your business came into my head and I just said, I'd ring, how are you? You know, like you're on about reputation and I always look at reputation to be like a parachute, like a badly packed one or none at all. And you're in serious trouble. Like, You know, you need to come across, I think in business, you keep your promises big and small, no matter how small the promise is. If you say, oh, I'll get that guy's phone number for you, get the phone number. Or um, I'll give you a Google review. Give them the Google review. Keep your promises. Because, you know, your reputation, Wayne, is what people say about you after you leave the room. And if that's not good, you have work to do. Like Because then you're on an uphill fight Like to explain, oh, that happened eight years ago. It was a bad mistake. I shouldn't have done it. You know, and, and you look at your customer service and you look at what your offering is to people. And it's, you know, it is about your product and what you're selling. But sometimes it's the service and sometimes it's you. You know, I, I was I've been in networking groups for years and then got to the point where I started my own. I have 18 members in my in my, uh, in my own networking group that I started myself. But it's all based on being an honest broker. And being like, just do what you say you're going to do and everybody will love you. But don't lie. Like, don't tell us you're going to do something and not do it. Like, because you'll get found out very fast. Like. Yeah, the interesting thing about that there as well, Brenton, and it's something that I say to people all the time, particularly when if you ask somebody for a testimonial, it's almost important. It's very important that they take the time to write that testimonial in a two week window. Because if people say to you, oh, listen, I'll get around to write that testimonial, it's never going to happen. It's going to seem like a it's going to seem like a, a challenge to that person. It's going to seem like a um, how, how could you put it? It's it's important that you get that testimonial within a couple of weeks, because if you leave it too long, well, the value's gone. The value's gone. They won't know exactly what it is you've done for them could be six months down the line. And it's something that I say to people all the time, that if you're going to do something for somebody, do it. Absolutely. And I did want to talk to you about the, the boardroom network, because myself uh, and Wayne, we have recently kicked off or launched our own network off the back of some of this stuff that meets on a Wednesday. And we're trying to differentiate ourselves from the existing networks that are out there. And I know you've done a very good job of that yourself. Um, how did that come about? And yeah, what it, tell us tell us a little bit more about it. Thank you. Right. Well, I was in I was in BNI for about four and a half years, and uh, I got to the end of and I, like people would have thought at the time that like I was a dyed in the wool BNI guy, like because I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed networking more than anything else. Um, and I looked at the business that I had brought in. I brought like eighty four grand into the chapter, and my thank you for the business. And I had got two, and I was like, all right. They either don't know me, don't like me, or don't trust me. It's one It's one of the three, right? So I left and I joined another networking group that I had been invited to. And uh, on two separate occasions, members brought like my direct competitors into the meeting. And I thought, like, if I say nothing, I'm letting people walk all over me. If I cause a massive fuss, 
you know, I'm going to be seen as, you know, being a, a bit drama like. So I just, I, I retired gracefully out of it. Like I just left out of it. And I was sitting down and I was talking to my wife and my wife kind of went, like, you can see all these problems with all these networking meetings. Why don't you just start your own? She Like I've built up a, what, what I call, and Martin, you're in, in, in my war chest. Like I have built up this thing that I call my war chest that if I can't help a client with something, I've got the person that can you know, so they're like, Brendan, can you do LinkedIn training with us? Uh, yeah, but I am not the go-to guy. Like, you need to talk to Martin. You know what I mean? And I've built up, like, do you know someone who builds websites? Do you know somebody who does SEO? Do you know somebody who does, like, a good IT company? Because our IT company doesn't talk to us, just builds us constantly, right? And uh, I built this group of people, but I knew all of them, but they didn't all know each other. So I contacted them one at a time and I said, I'm starting a networking group. I'd like you to be a part of it. And thankfully, everybody that I rang went, yeah, I'm in. Let's do it. So we meet once a month. Uh, we meet in a different restaurant in around the greater Belfast area. Nine times out of ten, it's in the private dining room where we have a lunch and we sit down and we have a meal. And then uh, when it gets to the business part, instead of going, oh, I'd like to talk to anybody with a head. You know, I'd like to talk to anyone that's alive that's thinking of, uh, you know, buying IT stuff. Instead of doing that, what you actually do is you say, I'm currently working with ABC company, XYZ company, and 123 company. Would anybody like to be um, introduced to them? You're actually offering up your own clients. And then people go, oh, I'd like to... So, uh, like, it, it's, I don't really... I haven't brought up too often, like, but I organized a food truck festival at the Down Royal Race Course this year. Right. It was three years in the making because of the whole COVID. But the race course came to me and says, we're great as a race course, but what can we do? And I said, let's do a food truck festival. And they were like, well, you organize it. And I was like, OK, let's do it. So I was able to stand up in a room going, I'm currently working with the Down Royal race course. Does anybody want to talk to them? And people go, oh, I wouldn't mind talking to them. So, right, I'm meeting Emma tomorrow. Uh, I'll ask her if she'd like to have a conversation with you. And then the, I think the other important thing was, one of the members that I had wasn't able to turn up uh, to like two meetings because she was away. And she turned around to me and she says, Brendan, I can't commit to the next couple of meetings. I think maybe I'm taking up room, I'm taking up a chair that you can fill with another accountant, right? Or another, well, it was actually a credit controller. And she said, you know, I'm taking up space of another credit controller in here. And I said, hold on a second. I said, you're not here because you're a credit controller. You're here because you're you. And if you left tomorrow, I wouldn't be looking for another credit controller. You're here because of the person that you are, not because of what your role is. You're not your role. You're yourself, like, you know. And uh, I could tell that that meant a lot to her. Now, she's never missed. She hasn't missed a meeting since. But, like, it's based on, like, I don't allow any visitors. I don't allow any subs, not for the first year, because I want everyone in that room to get to know each other. I know all of them, but they didn't all know each other. And now when we meet, it's like a load of old mates meeting up and they're all getting on and they're all doing business. And every single meeting we have, there's people walking away with business and handing business to other people and saying, oh, I have a client that wants to talk to you because you're fresh in their memory because the last time we were in shoe or we were in beans. And I bring in guest speakers then as well to, to talk to us about their journey and how they started business. So, you know, it's, it's networking with a difference. Um, I don't uh, I don't measure who's handed in business or not. I don't give out to people for not giving referrals. You're not here for referrals. Referrals will happen. You're here because your opinion is valued 
And I think you'd make a fantastic addition to the team. Like, So I hope that answers your question. It's just a different way of looking at networking. Yeah, no, absolutely. It definitely has. I think there's a, I think there's a real good sort of opportunity for different types of networking as well. And I think that you've really, I love what you've done with the boardroom network as from an outsider looking in. I think you've really done something niche there as well, and it and you have to be commended for it. Thanks. I mean, like I did get, I do get people every now and again, like would ring me and say, or contact me through LinkedIn and say, here, you're, um, you're networking. Um, can I join? <laughs> and I go, no, you can't. Uh, I'm sorry, but we're full. That's it. That's it. We, everybody in this room needs to get to know everybody in this room first before we bring on anybody else. And it will be a rare occasion. There was one, we had one new member there recently who uh, another member said, look, I really think she would add incredible value to the room. And so far, like she's been at two meetings so far and she has added incredible value to the room. So if it benefits everybody, why not? Like, you know? Yeah, the challenge, I mean, the challenge, we're we're very early days in the growth network, but the challenge that we have is that it's it's going from the kind of like, I looked at the BNI approach initially where you can attend up to two meetings for free, and then we would introduce some sort of membership, that kind of thing. But what we find is the people who take the most are the ones who don't want to, don't want to, um, become members they don't want to pay for it and this is something that's been to our frustration really it's kind of that that there's been people that have attended one or two meetings myself and Wayne have made solid introductions for those people and you would think they would be like oh great this is great I've really uh I've I've generated a tremendous amount of business I'd love to become a member no no interest in they just want to they only went because it was free and it's it's just that take mentality, and it's something that and that I said to Wayne tonight earlier before we were on the call. We were talking about this. I says I ain't done with takers. I'm just done with these takers. If if that's your attitude and your outlook, then you won't be in my company. I want to be mixing with collaborators, with partners, with people that are interested in working together because that is truly how. A community thrives through that partnership, and if you aren't part of, if you aren't in that community, and you're just self-centered and you're only about taking, then there is no place for you. And I have no problem saying that to people. Yeah, well, the thing about that, Martin, is if you're coming to the boardroom network, you have to pay for your meal. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You're making an investment. So what I have is, I have uh, you pay for your meal once a month, right? Which every penny of it goes to the restaurant. Okay, and then I've got an annual fee where you pay to be a member. And now it's not exorbitant; it's not huge. It's like three hundred quid. But I turn around into the members and go, right, we have eighteen three hundred quids. What do you want to do with it? Will I build a website? And they go, no, we don't need a website. Right. So one of the things that I wanted to do is I wanted to uh, find a, a network, another network. In my initial idea was the Isle of Man. Let's go to the Isle of Man. We'll find another business network there and we'll just go and visit them. And until another member said, what about Wales? We could go to Wales. But the money that the members put in, that's going to go against the tickets to Wales. Do you know what I mean? Or it's going to go against the accommodation. There's no one, like, I'm not making a red cent out of my networking group. 
And the other rule that I have inside there is if you miss three meetings, don't come back. Don't wait for me to tell you you're out. Just don't come back. If you can't invest in one meeting a month, just don't come back. You're wrong for here. Like. But, you know, you have to be very um, specific about who you invite. You know what I mean? And what kind of talents that they're bringing. Because I know, and I'm sure you will say it about your network, but I know that if you walk into my network, the boardroom network, every single person in that is at the top of their game in what they do. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting. And then it's one of the ideas is that these social audio events is something that we'll be able to offer to members of the group. And no money, all the money generated from membership will be reinvested into developing a stronger sort of value, sort of particularly with these audio events on Meet the Change Maker, the big interview on a Thursday and the Saturday on Sabreur. But Brenton, you've, de- you've delivered tremendous value here this evening it's been absolute gold to have you on here and and i know anyone that's listening will be in a stronger position with it with the incredible value that you've delivered here this evening uh on our meet the change maker you truly are a change maker and you have been for a long time and it it's been it's been great to have you and i would like to invite you back on for the big interview in a few months on it's over on linkedin on a thursday I know myself and Wayne would be delighted to have you on there as well. Sure, sure. And if I could leave you, if I could leave you with one thing, Martin, before, because I know we're getting close to signing off here. When you're in business, try and work out what success looks like to you. Because if you don't know what success looks like, you are never going to get it. And success for some people could be. I want 300 grand in the bank and success for somebody else is I like me. I don't work after two o'clock on a Friday. You know, I, I keep that time for doing a bit of marketing or doing a bit of reading or whatever I do, but that's a measure of success, you know? And if you want to grow your business and you want to be successful, you first have to establish what does success look like? And only when you actually quantify it and go, that's what success is for me. Then, then we can do it. Then I can show you the steps and how to get there. But if you don't know what it is, you're never going to. You'll, you'll go. Well, I want to be. I want to be rich. What's rich? Well, I want to. I want to. You know, have a successful business. What does that look like? I want to be the best. Oh, really? For when? You want to be the best on a Thursday afternoon? The best company in Newry on the 11th of September between the hours of three and four. There you go. Done. You know, so I would urge everybody, you know, that when they're looking at their business, first, what does success look like? You know, how am I going to be successful? When I started out being self-employed, my success was measured by I want to be in the black the night before I pay myself. And I did it. It took a year and a half and it was 50p, but it was in the black. And I went, I did it. Now, how can I turn that 50p into a fiver without going into uh, an overdraft? How can I turn that fiver into 50? How can I turn that 50 into 500? How can I have it that I have a grand in my business account the night before I pay myself? How do I do that? Like, you know, and look at the habits and look at what I'm doing. And, you know, 
am I going out trying to be the big man and paying for lunch for everybody who uh, are not in business with me? I just want to be the big man. So, well, you need to curb that. Like, you need to stop doing that kind of behavior. You know, and I know you're on about time wasters and all that, but Martin, I, I, I firmly believe, and I have done for some time, give everything away, man. Give everything. Give them all your knowledge. They're never going to do it. But what you want is someone to say, ah, oh, look, uh, I could do with a hand on my LinkedIn for our company. We really need to start marketing properly. And for that person who got the free information from you to turn around and go, go no further than Martin Murtaugh because he is the man when it comes to that. Absolutely. And I, I love that uh, you're saying that. Give it all away and add so much value. And I think that's really important. And in a lot of the training that I deliver, you know, and just to sort of sum up my uh you know, you're trying to add as much value as you can to the participants who are taking part so that they go away, uh, they're motivated, they're inspired. And the next time you're coming out with a new piece of content, a new piece of information, they're getting along to your workshop and they're wanting to find out more. But look, Brendan, it's been a fantastic episode tonight. You have imparted some amazing knowledge here for all the listeners. I want to thank everybody uh, for sticking around tonight. Um, We have overshot the runway completely. It's 20 past 10. And Brendan, thank you so much for your time. There is a replay of this that's going to be available in the next 48 hours over on Spotify and iTunes. So if you've missed the full episode tonight, you've joined us late you can pick up that episode uh, over on your favorite podcast player tonight. But before we finish up, Brendan, how can people find out a little bit more about what you do? What's the website address? If people want to get in touch, can they connect with you on LinkedIn? Uh, what's the best place to find out about you? Yeah, you can. can I'm on LinkedIn more than I'm on anything else. Um, the website is ghostconsultancy.com and there's a blog section there. So that action that I was talking about earlier, uh, in the blog there's managing the pipeline and it's all in there like what A stands for how to work it how to use it um, I did a lot of uh, a couple of years ago before the lockdown I did a thing called ghost stories where I brought in people that were again at the top of their game and Marty you did a ghost stories with me I think and all of the interviews with people from digital marketers to brand managers to to people in finance credit control it's all there that you can read it and it's given everything away like here's here's all the information you want you'll find it here uh if you want to connect with me on linkedin i don't think i've ever turned around, turned down a, a, a connection um you know i i try to post uh, as many days as i possibly can in the week but i always try to make it that the post is valuable to someone whether, whether it's a bit of advice or whether it's a stop doing this. Like my big thing, I do it every single September is the time to be planning for next year, for 2023 is now. It's not December. It's not January. Sit down now and plan for what you want next year. Like to go back to the analogy that I use at the top, like you wouldn't plant a seed in the garden and dig it up every two days to make sure it's growing. It takes time, but you need to start planning now and go, what is it that I want to achieve? You know, and like I said, you know, just the, the takeaways that, that I was doing today, if you're doing content, think of who, why, what, what. Who is it directed at? Why would they be bothered their arse sitting down and reading what you just wrote? What are they going to want to do after they read it? And what do you want <clears> them to do after you read it? And that's what should drive your marketing. Where are you adding value to my business? So again, and uh, I'm not on Twitter that much. I'm, I'm on LinkedIn more days than, than anything else. That's where you'll find most of my stuff. 
Fantastic. And we'll make the uh, links available to the LinkedIn page and also the website in the show notes of the podcast. Once again, Brendan, it's been fantastic. Uh, Thank you so much for taking time out this evening to join us on this episode. Don't forget, folks, uh, myself and Martin are back each and every Monday night, 9 p.m. for On The Biz Meet The Changemaker. Uh, We're back on Thursday afternoons over on LinkedIn for our audio event at 4 p.m. And you can catch us also on Saturday afternoon at 4 p.m. for the LinkedIn Entrepreneur. We've been delighted to have you all here tonight. Hope you've enjoyed this episode. You find it really useful. Make sure to implement a lot of the practical stuff that Brandon was talking to you tonight. And we'll see you next week for another episode of On The Biz, Meet The Changemaker. You've been listening to On The Biz, Meet The Changemaker with your hosts, Wayne and Martin. This episode is powered by The Growth Company. Tune in next time for one of our live social audio events.